Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. This week, I'm joined by Brian Osario. Brian is a Berkeley graduate, the 26-year-old mayor of Delano, California, and a candidate for the Democratic nomination for Congress in California's 21st Congressional District. Election 2022. He's the mayor of Kern County's second most populous city. And now Brian Osorio of Delano is running for Congress. Delano City Council voted to keep the current mayor, Brian Osorio, as the mayor for a second year. You know, the mayor has done a outstanding job, a phenomenal job this past year. You're 25 and you're the mayor of a city already. Uh, I, I read your background, first to graduate from high school in your family, first to graduate from college, went to Berkeley. It's an amazing story. I'm running for Congress because growing up in the Central Valley, I've seen this stagnant leadership that has caused harm for our community. And I believe that Central Valley deserves better. Hello, my name is Brian Osorio. I am the current mayor of the city of Delano here in Kern County. And I'm a Democrat running for Congress in the Central Valley. Specifically, I'm running for Congress in Congressional District 21. I'm running on a platform of supporting the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and comprehensive immigration reform. It's time that stories like mine are represented in Washington, and I want to take the Central Valley story there. Sorry, not sorry. Brian, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. And I'm just going to jump right in. You graduated from high school less than a decade ago, and now you're a mayor with a master's degree in political science running for Congress. Your mom must be really proud. (laughs) That's a pretty remarkable situation. Tell us how someone so young became so involved in public service. Of course. Once again, thank you for having me on this show, Alyssa. My name is Brian Osorio. I am the current mayor of Delano. I graduated from college in 2018. And right after graduating, I came back to my hometown of Delano. And I was set on you know, helping the community in the best way I thought I could. Prior to graduating, though, there was an incident that really sparked a lot of the advocacy that I currently have and hold, which is that Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers were in Delano and they pursued two farm worker parents after they had dropped off their daughter. And this pursuit led to the fatal accident of those parents. Other news tonight, two people are dead in Delano after a car chase there involving federal ICE agents. The couple has not been identified, but the United Farm Workers of America tell us they are a married couple with six children. Police say it happened just before seven this morning. 
Customs enforcement agents pulled over an SUV. When the ICE agents got out of the car, the driver took off but lost control on a dirt shoulder and flipped the SUV. Authorities have verified that they were a man and a woman from Delano. Again, the UFW says they were married parents of six and on their way to work. And uh, as a senior in college, I was really frustrated and also scared for my family, for my community. I'm the, I'm the son, nephew, grandson of immigrants. And so this story really hit home for me. And so as in my last semester of college, I came to Delano during my spring break and organized a march really condemning the actions of ICE that took place here in Delano. And from these, this action and from the feedback I was hearing from residents, which is we don't really feel that there is that care, there is that solidarity communities like ours. And so I came back and I, I centered immigrants in my platform as a city council candidate. And to my surprise, honest surprise, I, I was elected with the most votes in the 2018 city council election. And fast forward almost three years later, I'm finishing my third year on the city council and ending my first year as mayor. It's incredible. What insight does being the son of immigrants give you into being a mayor, and a potential member of Congress? I would say the insights, you know, growing up in a mixed status family in the fear that is often discussed at, at the dinner table with different family members is how are we left out of conversations from how the, the COVID-19 impacted essential workers who were low-income people of color and or immigrants. And so the, that definitely factors into the advocacy that I have, which is when we are doing programs to help community residents, are we considering the most marginalized in conversations and being in a family with a, a lot of marginalized identities, that definitely helps me center equity into my perspective as, a, as an elected official and as a decision maker. It's so interesting to hear you because interviewed hundreds of people at this point for this podcast, and I always feel so hopeful speaking to young people about why they are getting into service. And it always starts out in the most purest way. And then somehow along the way, there's a moment where I think that shifts for people. So what do you think that candidates need to do, that members of Congress need to do to maintain this idea of having a heart of service and not being caught up in so much of money and the lobbying and the, the potential power? Uh, that's an excellent question. <laughs> and something that I'm often asked, I think for me, the, the biggest thing is remembering my roots. I'm the, the first in my family to graduate from high school and then the first in my family to graduate from college. You mentioned my mom uh, must be proud and definitely I've made my, my parents proud, uh, my extended family proud, because they grew up in poverty in Mexico. And they grew up in poverty here in the U.S. And so coming from that background, coming from the sacrifices that they've made, that's definitely something that grounds me. And I hope other candidates and current elected officials can find it in their heart. You know, if they didn't go through those experiences, talking to those who are often at the uh, short end of the stick. Immigration has become a hot button issue in the election. And while the focus has been on diversity among voters and tackling illegal immigration, no one seems to be looking at the lack of diversity amongst our elected officials. The New American Leaders Project, a nonpartisan group advocating for more first and second generation immigrants in politics, is doing just that. This January, they came out with a report called The State of Inclusion, which found Asian Americans and Latinos make up about 20% of the U.S. population, and yet only less than 6% of all state legislators. 
You're so young. I'm just wondering why you decided 2022 would be the year that you run. Yes, 2022, I think, is the year I chose to run because there's just so much at stake. We have a great opportunity here in the Central Valley to build off of a progressive movement. Central Valley is often known to be a very conservative region. You know, when you have Devin Nunez and Kevin McCarthy surrounding this district, it's definitely, uh, it, it's definitely like a pessimistic outlook. But really, when you look at the need from farm workers, the need from teachers, the need from people who are working on the ground every day, I think we have an opportunity to raise a progressive platform. And that's what our campaign is trying to do here in, in CD21. And what's the message of your campaign? My message of the campaign is, as the son of immigrants, as the first of my family to graduate from high school and college, uh, I understand what it's like to really benefit from opportunities that aren't granted to everyone. But the thing is that my story shouldn't be the exception. It should be the norm. I want to take people's stories to Washington. I want to take the story of that first kid who went to college, whether it was here locally or whether it was four hours north in Berkeley like I did. I want to take that perspective of what it means to have access to education, affordable education. One, I bring that perspective of someone being in debt from uh, getting this graduate degree from USC. It's, I, I know the importance of needing to cancel student debt. As a son of immigrants, I know what it's like to really advocate for comprehensive immigration reform and living in one of the most polluted regions of the area. I know how important it is to decarbonize our economy, to really improve the air quality, but more importantly, protect the people who are living near these oil and gas wells. So my message is we here in the Valley, we are suffering the intersection of all these issues, but we need someone to really advocate for the communities to the best of their potential. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to use the word intersectional because so often we hear that word, but we don't really see how it all meets. So your perspective is unique because you're actually, that's your, your lived reality. And you were, which when I read this, I was really shocked, but you were one, I don't know why I'm still shocked, but I am. You are only one of two Delano city council members who voted for a mask mandate. How do you think COVID and the electorate's varied response and beliefs surrounding COVID affected how you view governing? I think there was definitely those complaints of government overreach, definitely those complaints not knowing uh, better and interfering in people's lifestyles. But there's also the senior residents who are like, we're not doing enough. There are those who are abiding by all the COVID-19 uh, guidelines. And then they see everyone else just not getting any warning, not getting any reprehension for it. And so I think it's been definitely a mixed approach. Earlier this year, we also pushed for an ordinance to enforce the governor's guidelines. The businesses that we were targeting just to not eat indoors and to please stay, keep customers out because it's not safe. There was definitely a lot of resistance. Today's rally outside the Santa Clara County office building was not just in opposition to pandemic lockdown policies. This gathering was organized by a group called Freedom Angels. Vaccine injury is real! 
It's the same group of anti-vaccine activists that made headlines with raucous protests at the state capitol in 2019. In 2020, the anti-vax movement has become one element of the larger COVID protest movement. I'm not even going to get the vaccine. You could put a bullet in my head before you do that. And so it's something that's really felt in the Central Valley where we don't see a lot of action on protecting the public health of our community residents, but we have to ensure that the government has to step in to protect the overall health of everyone. And that's the approach that I led with and some of my colleagues too. And I think it's the right approach. I think that we have gotten so bogged down with words and how words like freedom and the problem with that is, is that it means something very different to so many people, right? Like to me, freedom means that I don't have to worry about my parents getting sick if we go out to dinner or are in a place of business. That to me is freedom. To me, freedom means not these families who have to work three jobs at a time just to make ends meet and put food on the table. That to me is freedom. Knowing that we are drinking clean water and have access to clean water, that to me is freedom. And so I always am so amazed how, first of all, that the English language is not perfect, but second of all, how it means something different for everyone. And I, you define yourself as a progressive, and that too is a word that I believe can mean many different things. And it's often a word, if you are a Republican, people don't like that word. Sometimes if you're a moderate Democrat, people don't like that word, progressive. But what does that word mean for you, and especially as it pertains for your race for Congress? I would say, yeah, I definitely get that as a compliment. I definitely get that as a criticism. And there's you know, definitely a historical movement behind what it means to be a progressive. In short, the way I'll define progressive here is looking out for the little guy and making sure that working class and low income Americans and residents here in this country are afforded equitable opportunities that otherwise aren't afforded. We have a huge gap in almost any sector that you can think of, whether it's education, whether it's housing, whether it's the incarceration rates. And so for me, the way that I would subscribe to being a progressive is just always keeping in, into consideration um, what person is being left out, um, what family is being left out, and seeing how we are starting bottom up and building support through unions, building support through reparations, building support through any type of assistance that is needed to really build a sustainable future for our families. California's 21st district flipped to the GOP last year. In your view, how is the district trending now and what's your plan to win it back? Yes. So in, in 2018, the Democrat won by about 800 votes. And this last year, the Republican won um, by roughly 1,500 votes. And so this district is definitely one of the most flippable districts in the country. Results are slowly coming in for a tight race here in Kern County. TJ Cox and David Valadeo are now roughly 2,000 votes apart with Valadeo in the lead. This race is a rematch from 2018 where Valadeo lost his seat to Cox. The race this year is, a, is narrow again with neither party speaking out about the race until official results are in. And I think the approach needed is really focusing on the demographics of the district, which is we are one of the most Latino districts in the country. We are also one of the districts with the lowest rates of educational attainment. And so we have to not just assume that people will vote Democrat um, because, you know, Democrats are pushing for policies that benefit them, but we really have to make an effort to educate voters 
about the importance of voting, but also about what's on the ballot. We are not just pushing candidates for Congress, we're pushing for all levels of government and all levels of government matter. And so my message is a progressive candidate and a, and a candidate like myself, I'll be 26 next month, but a, a young candidate who believes in platforms like Medicare for All, protecting public health and expanding what immigration reform means, that's the type of candidate that people will get excited to vote for. And so I think we're on a trend to really capitalize on that momentum early next year to get out the vote. And, you know, redistricting is currently showing us to remain democratic and we're having our fingers crossed that it stays uh, that way or even, uh, even more so. Twenty-six years old. It's amazing. Have you had people who write you off because of your young age? And if so, what do you say to them? Definitely. You know, whether it's a city council member, whether it's as mayor or now as a candidate for Congress, age always comes up. And my response is that I've been known to surprise people and I hope I can surprise them again next year. And it's not uh, about the age, it's about the ideas that you bring to the table. And I believe that I haven't seen those ideas and that passion brought here to this district. And so that's what I'm offering to get voters excited. So, Brian, ever since I've been in politics, Democrats say we have to engage young voters. But the youth vote rarely turns out big. When George Floyd died beneath a Minneapolis police officer's knee, the youth of America filled the streets by the thousands. But every 4th November, many go AWOL, ghosting the ballot box. I don't think my one vote is really going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, I voted for Hillary Clinton last time and I felt bad doing it and it didn't make a lick of difference. So. Young voters overwhelmingly lean liberal, with 18 to 34-year-olds in a recent poll preferring Democrat Joe Biden over the Republican president, Donald Trump, by a whopping 37 percentage points. But Americans over 60 are more than twice as likely to vote. Where do you think is the disconnect? What do you think, how do you think we could do a better job of engaging young voters? Yeah, I think there's like two different approaches. I think there's a general approach and then there's an approach here in the Central Valley. I think the general approach is really just offering candidates who show that they're there for young people, who can build a record of supporting young people. And that way, you know, come election time, they have that trust to elect them, to support them in the election if they can't vote, and also vote for them if they can. I think the other approach specific to the Central Valley is I'm the first in my family that voted. And it's because of the first generation American experience. And it's something that's so common across the Central Valley. We have a lot of people who are children of immigrants here. And so we have to get past this extra barrier of people not really knowing what it's like to vote. And then we had to then show them the importance of voting. And then, of course, putting the candidate forward that really shows them that they will fight for young people and their needs. I think those are some takes that we can do to improve a young people turnout. And how can my listeners support your campaign? I'm available through iBlue. Or my website is osorioforcongress.com. Osorio is spelled out O-S-O-R-I-O. Wonderful. 
And finally, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is that through this process, I've been able to connect with a lot of people who really believe in desperate change that is needed. And I think that to me gives me hope. One of the biggest things that makes me reflect often is I'm still in my mid-20s, but I'm meeting people who are in their uh, 50s and 60s, and they're still hopeful. And so I think I want to keep that fire burning for future generations to come. And seeing that resilience in other people gives me hope. Well, Brian Osorio, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Rosa, you are the executive director for the Future Generation Pack. Please tell us about your pack. So the Future Generation Pack is fairly new. We are not even a year old yet, um, but we are Future Generations is led by the seventh generation principle of uh, common people, um, native ancestors, that the world decisions that we make today should be done with uh, at least seven generations into the future in mind so that we can leave a, a more sustainable world. And while historically this has been a, a philosophy that's been used to talk about our relationship with the environment, um, one of the things that we really wanted to get across to our candidates was that everything is so interconnected now uh, with racial, housing, um, economic, and healthcare justice that we really need to some, we need somebody who understands what it means to push forward policy that isn't one level of, of a commitment to, to policy. The path to politics for younger people is so difficult. The powers of incumbency often mean officials hold jobs for years or even decades. The crushing burdens of student debt and low wages for entry-level workers means that younger people have to focus on higher-paying careers than public service. And the overwhelming costs of childcare make it even more difficult for younger people with families to participate in their own governance. We need to clear those barriers because our government needs to be representative of all of us. If our leaders represent only older generations, how can we possibly expect younger people to want to participate in the electoral process? How can we achieve change when those in office are so far removed from the challenges of the younger generations? We've got an election coming up this year, and there are truly impressive younger candidates like Brian Osario running. I challenge each of you to find emerging young candidates in your states and help them change the world. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson, audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski, and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry, not sorry.